Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. As a community, we are learning the way of Jesus and serving our city. Redemption Hill is kind of different. We are a collective of micro churches that gather together on Sundays to grow and connect and worship. So don't wait anymore. Join us Sundays at Boise Friends Church in the gym at 10.30 a.m. and get connected to the community you need in this season of your life. All the details you need are at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the training and teaching time from this week's gathering. Stay tuned after the sermon for more info on how to get connected. And this week, and what you'll find is that everybody has a part to play in that work of proclaiming and seeing the kingdom of God come to, to fruition in the life of Christ. This week, we are on angels. And this is always the weirdest one for me. And the weirdest, best part about the Christmas story is the angel thing. Like, it's just kind of... You, you, you read the Bible, there's something like... I looked it up today. There was a number here. Where is it? Like 273 times the word angel shows up in the Bible. 273 times. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's word malak, uh, which is... It simply means messenger or envoy. It's used in about 25% of the time. It's used to talk about humans doing human stuff, bringing messages places, um, king's envoys showing up and handing a message to someone. In Greek, it is uh, angelos, which is why we call them angels. But uh, we've turned it into this religious term that only means heavenly body, heavenly being who shows up and does something. But the word is just simply messenger. It's a real common word, messenger, envoy, um, that we use. It shows up 273 times, and a big chunk of them, um, almost more than half of them, all show up in the gospel narratives around the advent. Um, And that's why when you see angels, you think about really only there's four places where they show up in the Bible as a whole. You see them at the very end. In Revelation, where you get this glimpse of the throne room of God and the ways that angels participate in the, the, the true fruition of the coming of the complete reign of God over all, all creation, bringing it, setting it right again. That's where you see the angels. You see the angels at the advent. You see the angels where Isaiah has this vision of the kingdom, of, of uh, the throne room of God. And that's where we get the word, uh, where we get our vision of angels with wings. You guys, when you think angels, you think wings, right? That's weird. Uh, that's not actually the word that they use in Isaiah. It's seraphim, which is like, seraph means like floating or, or, uh, or exalted. And it, it also has like a fire connotation to the root of the word. So it's like fiery floating one can also mean dragon. I don't like it, like literally a flying lizard. So like the seraph, the seraphim who show up in Isaiah's vision with these six wings and all these weird eyeball things, like it's its own like thing. That's not what the picture we get of a messenger that shows up throughout the text of scripture. The messengers who normally show up, for the most part, they look, we don't have any clue of what they look like because they're just these radiant beings. And um, we don't get a clue from what it says about how they look other than they're messengers and they show up and they're 
they're a being who is a person. And we're going we're gonna to talk through kind of the nature of the angels. But, um, and then we also have at the very beginning of the story, after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, we have the cherubim or the cherubs who, who show up. And the cherubs are not called angels either. Um, there are these warrior, um, you, can, you can read it, it's a pretty simple description, but it's basically like there's these flaming sword warriors who are standing in front of the Garden of Eden on the east gate to make sure that they stay out, that they don't re-enter and take of the tree of life and then live forever fallen in the state of humanity. So angels have a particular role to play that's different than the roles that other people play in the story. But I'm going to start by talking about, okay, what do we know about angels? We don't know that much, so it should go quick. All right. Um, Angels, primarily, this is something you need to understand. They are not a part of God. They are different from God. They are part of the created order. They are not the creator. Okay. So even though they have this heavenly place where they don't exist in the base reality of, of of the planet that we live on, they are created by God. They have some sort of form or being that is not like our form and our being. Um, and all things were created by God. It's an important distinction we always make. God is different because he's the creator, and everything else is different because it is settled and created by God. Secondly, angels were created to live forever from day one. They were not mortal creatures. They were immortal creatures. Um, it tells us in Luke chapter 20 that... Um, Like there's this little bit about what we're going to be like, nor can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels, sons of God being sons of the resurrection, that we enter into this eternal life much like the angels do upon our redemption in Christ. So angels live forever. Angels were present when God created us, so they pre-exist us. They were here long before we were. We don't know how long they have been around. Um, Angels... um, they have names that we have turned into um, like gendered names like Michael and Gabriel, but we don't have a sense that they, that they have gender. They do not give themselves in marriage, so gender probably is a lot less important to them than it is to us. And we're told in Matthew 22 that at the resurrection, we will be like them and that we will not be given in, ma- in, in marriage. Angels are wise. The angels who follow God are wise and intelligent. We see in 2 Samuel um, where the maidservant says, The word of my Lord the king will now be comforting, for as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king in discerning good and evil. Where the angels have a deep connection with the way of God, and they live and speak with wisdom and intelligence. Um, Angels have a keen interest in what's happening to humanity. Like that's a big piece of their job is to be a part of God's care and God's work in the in seeing his kingdom mission come to fruition in the world. Um, in Daniel chapter 10, it says, Now I've come to explain to you that what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And this is, uh, this is a moment where Daniel is waiting for this vision from God. He's, he's struggling. He's praying and praying and praying. For three weeks, he's praying. And then this angel shows up, and the angel's like, 
oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened. I've been fighting off this demon at the edge of space and I've been fighting him for three weeks and then the archangel Michael had to come in and, and distract that guy so I could get here. And like they, they have this particular role to play and they're invested in it. They'll do whatever they can. They're messengers who are committed. Um, they're not like that FedEx guy who dumped his truckload into a river. Did you guys see that this week? <laughs> That's where your iPad is. That's, it's in a river uh, that a FedEx driver dumped off. This, these angels are not like that. These angels are committed to the message that they're given. Um, angels are fast. I don't know if you knew that, but angels just like have this otherworldly way of entering space and moving through space that we don't. We see that in Daniel and in Revelation. Angels are spiritual beings. And... I, like, I don't, I don't want to, like, belabor that, like, I want to say they have a different type of body. They still have an embodied existence where their spirit has a form and a shape and a way that it exists in creation, but it's different than ours. So I don't want to belabor the point, but they're, they're spirit in that they're not fleshy like us. They're not limited to bodies like we are. Um, yeah, in Psalm 104, it says, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire? Like there's something about angels and fire and the way that like they, they appear with this radiant glow, much like it's, it's probably because of their proximity to the experience of God's presence that comes with this, this sort of fiery glow to them that we see when Moses comes down off the Mount, Mount Sinai where he's just overwhelmed. Uh, people around him are overwhelmed with the Shekinah glory that's like, coming off him. They can't look at him. That's why we talk about seraphs and we talk about angels with kind of this fiery language. Um, angels are not meant to be worshiped. And, you know, we're, we are worshiping creatures, so we will find ways to worship whatever comes in front of us that we think is pretty cool. Um, and so we got to be careful with angels not to like, you know, we're, we're not, there are Christian traditions who take angels very, very seriously and think that everybody has a personal angel that's responsible for them. That we do not find in the text of scripture, so we don't, um, we're not saying that that's not true. There might be a Clarence out there who's just waiting to get his wing and he's, he's walking alongside you in your life. I don't know, but uh, we don't see that in scripture. Um, angels aren't meant to be worshiped. They're not meant to be something. And what we see in Revelation 19 is it says, I fell at my feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you not do that. This is the angel, the messenger from God. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And that's one of those, that's one of those little nuggets where you're like, oh, there's something different about angels that we don't always see in that revelation passage where they are a part of the family of God. They are our brethren and they have the same goal and mission as us to bring the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy to the world. They participate in the same things that we do. Um, angels are subject to Christ. He is their king. They bow to him. Angels have their own will. Angels are not automatonic robots. They have their own sense of self, and they have a will where they choose to enter in. In Isaiah 14, we see um, where there's this picture that tells the story of the, um, of how the angels have fallen from heaven. Oh, morning star, son of the dawn, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. He's talking about Lucifer and his rebellion. 
He says, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Angels can choose to rebel against God and be separated from his presence, just like we can. So in a lot of ways, we, we make this big distinction between us and the angels. But it's probably not as big as we all imagine, where we are all part of the created order. We all have a choice whether we're going to enter into God's presence or we're going to run away and do our own thing. And angels have chosen which side they're on. There was a great battle. About a third of them said, I'm out of here. And they've been the enemies of God from that time. Oh, there's so much here. I'm just going to... Angels express emotions. They have feelings. Angels are not omnipresent. They are not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. They're not like God in that they have ultimate power over creation. Angels are too numerous to count. Um, that is a lot. I don't know if they wrote this when we knew how high we could count. We're better at counting today than they were. I don't know. I don't know. Um, most angels remain faithful to God. Only three angels have names in the Bible. The rest are just messenger. Um, we have uh, just Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Those are the only three names that we get of the angels. Only one angel in the Bible is called Archangel. Um, and Arch just means first. Like it, it, it means primacy, the, the highest of the angels. So he probably has this special role as the, um, the chief chief angel is kind of the way you should think about archangel and that's michael the angels have the same ultimate end as we do which is to glorify and worship god and and be a part of his kingdom um, angels report to god we see in job chapter one and chapter two the angels show up in this heavenly court and wait for instructions from god they sit below him um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot that we, that we see with angels, but I wanted to start with kind of the overview because I want to dive into one particular short story. And I, I want to make sure we don't miss the forest for the trees, okay? The angels are creatures, but there's something I want you to notice about them. Is that the two-thirds of the angels who are part of God's kingdom, they exhibit the humility of God. It's not about them. Every time you see them show up in a story, whether it's the front line of a battle or anything else, they show up and it's not about them. Imagine um, you're, you are, you're sitting with a general in his, um, in his lair looking at the maps and trying, he's trying to decide what to do. A private first class runs in. He's got a telegram from the front that he's got to deliver to the general. The general doesn't sit the private first class down and say, tell me your story. It's not about the private. His, his, his job is to show up to deliver the message, and the angel never makes it about themselves. They show up and they deliver the message that's given to them. Um, yeah, angels, there's something so special about it. And I, I really want to dive into Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 21. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Luke chapter 1, 5 through 21, we're going to be in the New Living Translation, if you've got your Bibles with you today. All right. By the way, we're not going to have those flyers, and here's the reason. <laughs> um, we're not going to have the flyers because 
I, I went back to my laptop and it literally would not load the program that the flyers are on. And so I think God is saying, listen, people, we don't need to cut down all these trees. There's an internet, okay? He gave you a phone. Just tell your friends about it. Your kids were just going to leave the flyers on the tables anyway. So no, no flyers today. All right. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Actually, let's... Yeah, I, I just needed to make sure you knew. Dale helped me see the spiritual reality of it. Let's start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1. Sorry, I didn't tell you to put that on the screen. You can start in verse 5. Okay, Dave? All right. When people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among them, they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorous Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Luke's saying, I know what I'm talking about. I did the research. He's saying, I did the research myself, and then he linked to a YouTube video. No, just kidding. Uh, he, did, he actually did the research to find out what happened at the birth of Christ, because I'm sure that in the first century, tons of stories all over the place, crazy stuff. I'm sure that, like, Jesus' birth, like, they probably told stories about how she didn't labor at all, and the baby just came right out, and he was telling parables. And, they, like, Luke had to, like, set the story straight. Okay. Verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea... There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. Now, this is the era of the second temple, and the Levites in the intervening years when there wasn't a temple, they had moved away from Jerusalem, and the Levites lived throughout um, Judea and Samaria. And so what would happen was when it was your week to get called up and your family was on, uh, it was kind of like the National Guard for, for the temple. You'd, you'd have your two weeks, you get called up, you'd show up, and you'd do your priestly duties, and you'd go home so that there wasn't just like a few people doing it. Everybody shared the load of the Levitical duties. Um, and this is, this is a part of the oppression of the Roman Empire. Why? The tithe that had been set aside of the land for the Levites to care for their families so that they could attend to the temple, it had been taken from them. That land that had been set aside where everybody throughout Israel was going to give 10% of what they had been given to care for the Levites so that they could do the work God had called them to had been taken by the Romans. And so they were all out working the fields, doing their jobs, and then they would take their two weeks and do their bivocational duty to show up and to run the temple. As was the customs of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. So this is the second area of the temple, not the outer courts, and, and not, so the outer courts are the place where Gentiles are allowed to be, and then the inner courts are the place where the Jewish men were allowed to attend, and then the sanctuary was the holy place, and then within the sanctuary was the holy of holies, where God's presence resided. And so this was as close as you ever wanted to get, unless you were the high priest on the day of atonement, Walking into the Holy of Holies, this is about as close as you got, and every day that they would send in somebody to light incense, and this was Zechariah's day. While the incense was being burned, 
a great crowd stood outside praying. I had never seen this line before I started looking at this passage this week. While incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. This is a, a time in the history of Israel where the, there was... I mean, we're right at the beginning of the Roman Empire. It had just, it had just become uh, an empire like 20 years before after the Republic fell. The empire was growing, and, and so Jerusalem still believed in that first generation that they would get out from under the thumb of their oppressors in Rome. And this was probably the height of what that looked like under particularly Herod the Great, who was a vassal king of the Roman Empire. And they were praying and hoping for God's resurrection, for God's Messiah to show up. They were praying, they were hoping, they're praying, they're hoping. And, th and when, when people start to show up to pray, God starts paying attention because the time is ripe for his kingdom to come to fruition when his people are leaning in. If there aren't people who are ready to receive the kingdom, the kingdom itself cannot grow without the people to be transformed by it. And so I think that what God is saying here is that um, th these people were praying because they were expectantly waiting, even at that time, for the kingdom to come to life. Verse 8, one day Zechariah, oh, sorry, just kidding. Verse 11, when Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. I just love that they put to the right side, because we're like, oh yeah, the right side. Like you're like, no, nobody, nobody here is like imagining that, but you know, the right side of the incense altar. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with my spirit even before his birth. And he will turn away many, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. This angel has a very particular message. Every angel doesn't just come saying, hey, just pay attention, God's up to stuff, he'll let you know. Like they come, angels show up at the moment when they're needed because they have a particular message. And this particular message should seem real familiar to you when you think about the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist. Because this angel has the same message that they do. What was the message of John the Baptist? That wasn't rhetorical, I'm actually asking. What was the message, what was the, the only sermon we get from John the Baptist is? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's it, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What do we see? Jesus in Mark chapter one, when he start, he, he literally receives the baptism of John and that baptism of John was him acknowledging John's prophetic ministry and taking hold of his prophetic message and then taking that prophetic message, and what did Jesus preach? Repent, the kingdom of God 
is at hand. And what we see here in this, in this message from the angel is he's saying, this is the message that will be entrusted to John. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. What is the word turn but repent, metanoia? Their, their minds will be transformed to see and experience God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It means get ready. Be prepared because the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. The Messiah is on the move. The king is showing up in ways that we don't expect. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. For Zechariah, when he heard this message, he was overjoyed because he'd been praying. He'd been praying for that child. And for those of us who have struggled and suffered, waiting for kids, praying for kids, hoping that God would give us a family, you know the kinds of prayers that you pray when you're hoping for that to come. You know the desperation. You know the, the sense of powerlessness to make it happen. When you're waiting and hoping and praying that God will show up. Zechariah had been waiting and hoping and praying, and he had lost hope. He'd given up. But when this angel shows up, he's told not only are you going to have a baby, which was probably to Zechariah like a, okay, sure. Like, he, he obviously doesn't believe him. Like, he, he literally doesn't believe the angel. <laughs> I, I don't know. If an angel shows up, just take it at face value, okay? Don't, don't be like, listen, buddy, okay? I know you showed up from heaven and you're glowing and I'm afraid of you, but let me fact check this, okay? Just take the angel's word for it. If he shows up in person and gives you messages, listen, Zechariah, it was so unbelievable that this baby would happen that he couldn't even take it in. But I think that Zechariah was probably more struck by the prophecy spoken over this baby, that this baby would be the Elijah who would come before the Messiah. This baby had a particular role to play. The kingdom of God is breaking in. What they had been hoping for, what they had been praying for, for, I mean, it had been, oh gosh, a uh, hundred years since Antiochus Epiphanes had rolled through and had taken over Jerusalem and had slaughtered, man, he, he slaughtered a pig on the Holy of Holies. This Greek Roman king ran through, ransacked Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. And the Jews had been praying for a hundred years, God, would you make us whole again? God, would you restore your presence and your blessing upon us? So when Zechariah hears this, his heart leapt his heart was being primed for the kingdom of God to break in. We talk a lot about the kingdom of God. We talk a lot about how it, how it moves and how it's a, a now but not yet kingdom. But I, I think that um, what we're seeing here is that the breaking in of the kingdom always starts with a seed of rebellion. What this is, what John is, is the seed of the rebellion. And a group of people standing around hoping that God would bring it to life, would fan its flames to life. Um,
For those of you who are fans of Outlander, you might understand the storyline. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in, in, the seven, in the 18th century, there's, there's this group of Jacobites in, in Scotland who are still hoping that they would, their sovereignty would be returned to them. And they have this Stuart king who's hanging out in France with a bunch of knuckleheads in the French courts, hoping that they can put together an army. Bonnie Prince Charles is hoping that he can put together an army and go back and retake Scotland for himself. It had been two generations since his family had been in power in Scotland, and he's just hoping and praying that, that something will happen. But the rebellion always starts with somebody who has this vision, this hope. You see, Christmas is an invitation to fan into flame the insurrection against the powers of this world by pledging loyalty to an exiled king. It's us saying, even though this world still has power over us, even though our flesh still dominates us, even though the systems of this world are working against the kingdom of God, I'm going to allow the seed of the kingdom to take root inside of me when I take hold of the message that the king is coming. Repent. Get ready. It's right here. Empires are never overthrown in a moment. They incubate over generations. Um, the seeds of the American Revolution were born in the hearts of Scottish peasants generations before. The Republic was reborn with a single Jedi warrior taking up arms against the Empire. All this is to say, anytime the angels show up, it's good news because it means that God is on the move. God talks to us in lots of ways. He uses, he uses uh, nature to tell us about his, his uh, power. Like when we look at nature and creation, we see the vastness of God. Um, he uses his law to communicate what he's like and what he values. And so when he gives us his, his word and his law, it demonstrates to us this is what it's like to live in the way of God. He uses prophets to, to warn us of impending doom that's going to happen. So you see there's kind of modes of communication from God. There's, there's the law, there's the prophets, but then he uses angels in a very particular way. They're like his right on time messaging, okay? Angels are the text messages from God that you need. It's somebody showing up at just the right moment saying now is the time and when he is ready, he uses his angels to set the stage for what's about to happen. And when he shows up himself, you know the kingdom is on the move. The king has arrived. So when anytime you see angels show up in a story, watch out. And I, we like talking about angels because they're, they're cool and different. And um, I, I like that they, they like ignite our, our spiritual imagination because as Westerners, we are so materialistic. We have a hard time acknowledging the reality that there's this spiritual realm that's overlaid over this universe that we live in and the spiritual reality around us. We, we, we try to find ways of explaining based on natural phenomenon because we're really uncomfortable with any sort of spiritual world outside of us. It feels out of control. It feels like chaos. 
and most, most cultures in the world have embraced spiritualism and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to create narratives so that we understand the spiritual reality around us. And as Westerners, we've just denied it completely. So I like that angels kind of bring, to, bring us to this spiritual imagination that there are angels who are watching over us in real ways. There are angels who are intervening in history time and again that God is using as um, his, his watchmen over creation. There, there are powerful forces of, of darkness who are working against God's kingdom constantly in this world. And so I want, I want to like live in the reality of that, but I think that there's something deep that we can learn from angels that I don't want to miss too. Because too often when we read about the angels, and Christmas in particular, we get kind of, uh, I don't even know the right word, but we get romantic about it. You know what I mean? Like Christmas is this time where we romanticize and we, we feel these warm feelings around the, the pretty things and we, the lights. And you know, it's like Christmas is romantic. But I think that too often we miss out on the lessons of Christmas because they sit right in front of us. How can we be trained by this story? Well, I want to say this. The angels of God, the messengers of God, they embody the way of the kingdom just like Jesus does. So when you see angels show up in a story, pay attention because they are doing the things that we're supposed to do. When you look at the angels, they exhibit the way of the kingdom. They embody the way of the kingdom just like Jesus did, does. They live in the presence of the king. They're constantly around our Father God, and they, they experience everything about his holiness and his presence that we desire. And so when you see them, you're seeing what it looks like for us to exist in what will be our eternity, which is the coming of heaven and earth into this one new creation where God's presence is permeated throughout, and all of us are walking in, in the, the newness of life that comes with the way of the Spirit. And these angels are living in that reality. So when we see them, we've got to go, okay, I've got to learn things from them. They're like a, a glimpse of our future, um, except we will, and maybe angels too, we don't know, but we will have an embodied existence in this new creation after the time in between or whatever that looks like. There's this new creation that's coming. We're going to have an embodied existence, and we're going to be in God's presence, and it's going to be this this beautiful experience of being in God's kingdom. So when we look at them, we see what we learn. Uh, we see what we can learn. Here's, and here's what we see in this story in particular, is that angels listen to God, and they do what he says. It seems simple. Um, but we are really bad at that. I watch you guys. I watch me. We are not good <laughs> at hearing God's voice and doing what he says. When we do hear his voice, we slow play it. It's like when your kid hears you. Your kid always hears you, right? Like, they're totally lying when they say they didn't hear you. My kids, right? They, like, we hear God, and what do we do? We go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. I got, I just got to, I'm in the middle of this video game. Or, you know, like, whatever that thing is, we, we wait, and we, we hear God, and we ignore it. We hear God, and we wait. We hear God, and we try to... We try to interpret it in a way that lets us continue on with what we're doing, but the angels don't. They hear the message from the Father, they set down what they're doing, and they go do what he said. 
And this is the way of God's presence and God's kingdom is hearing his voice. And so I want to ask you this is, what have you been hearing from the Father? Is there space in your life for you to hear his voice? Is there any quiet? Is there any moments that are not accounted for? And Crystal's like, no. And I, I get it. Not, yeah, my four kids preclude any silence in my house. One of my kids speaks all day. He doesn't stop. But I still know God is speaking as I walk in my daily life. And I need to turn my attention to him. So the question is, like the angels, are you hearing what he says? Are you doing what he says? So when we celebrate the angels and we light the candle, we remember their part in the Advent story. I want to ask you, are you entering into his presence? Are you stepping into that holy place like Ezekiel did? Are you praying along with Ezekiel for God's presence to permeate creation once again? And some of you, you heard what God said. God told you something really clearly lately. And everyone's like, oh, crap. <laughs> He's going to tell me to do it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you to do it, okay? Um, God has given you some message. And if you don't step into it, either you're going to miss out on being a part of his story unfolding, and or you're going to be alienated from God, and you're going to miss out on his voice because you're avoiding him because you didn't do what he asked you to do. That's the cost of disobedience is alienation because either you're ashamed because you didn't do it or you didn't do it and he's waiting for you to do that so that you can enjoy his presence and take the next assignment that's going to transform you into the way of the kingdom. So what's God been speaking to you about and are you going to do it? And what I want to say is uh, we're going to have communion here in a minute. I'm going to pray and I want to challenge you. The band can come on up. As, as we're praying and as you come forward to receive communion, this communion is a representation of the embodiment of God's kingdom in his body and blood broken for you and bled for you. And when you take of it, you're saying, I am a part of this rebellion that is working its way as, as a counterweight to the empires of this world, and I'm going to join into the kingdom. But the kingdom means you look like the angels and you hear what the Father says and you do it. And so when you receive communion, that's the invitation. Are you going to receive the word of the Father and do what he asks you to do? Now, we're not perfect in this, and that's why we need the blood of Jesus. That's why we need his body broken for us. And when we enter into the table, we're receiving the presence of God through his spirit, and, and we are entering into the way of the kingdom by, by saying, okay, I'm going to do what you say, and I'm going to listen to you. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be imperfect. But when we, when we take these, this is a pledge of loyalty. This is, this is an oath to say I'm a part of the way of God, and we do it each week to remember who we truly are. This doesn't save you. This doesn't give you any spiritual powers that I have discovered yet. We will see. Um, but we do this to remember who we truly are. We remember what our bodies are for. We remember how we belong to a king that's not of this world. So we're going to have some music play. I'm going to pray and then come forward.
receive the body and blood of Christ broken for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can enter into this kingdom project that's breaking into our world both then and now. Let's pray. hoping for your presence to break in. We're hoping for your kingdom to show up. And we're also not sure that we're ready for it. We see what it looks like to live in your kingdom and it looks so beautiful and it looks so powerful, but we also know that it comes at the price of setting aside the empire and the benefits that the empire brings, the security that the empire brings, the, the wealth pleasure and the comfort that the empire brings. But God, we want you. We don't want to miss out on you because we're willing to settle for so much less, which is us in charge and us doing what we want, us pursuing the pleasure and the promises of this world. So we pray, Father, speak to us visions and prophecies and dreams and angelic visions Lord God speak because we're trying to listen and we're trying to do what you say come God in all your power this Christmas season and may the not yet of your kingdom come closer may the
Thanks for listening to our weekly podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get them in your podcast feed. You can find ways to connect with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection. Fill out the form for a free gift from us. We care about you and want to help you find your way back to God. Follow at Redemption Boise on Instagram for regular encouragement. Oh,